Hello and welcome to the podcast version of Let's Kill Twitter. This is the show that endeavours to detox your timeline with the art of conversation. Let's Kill Twitter is recorded live and on Zoom and features two hosts, that's myself, Julian Hall, and the comedian Sajila Kershey. We also have two guests every week. This week it was the turn of comedians and commentators Aisha Hazarika and Andrew Doyle. We had a pretty thorough discussion about cancel culture and online abuse, but we also took the time to discuss more light-hearted subjects, such as what 90s music has stood the test of time and the etiquette involved in choosing the perfect Zoom background. So without too much further ado, let me start the recording of the show for you. But just before we start, I just need to explain that this recording starts just after I've made the intro. And what I'm doing is explaining that Aisha is running 10 minutes late and then I start with the intro of Andrew Doyle. One last thing to mention, of course, is as ever, please do follow us at LKTZoom on Twitter for more updates and information. 10 minutes, I think, but I'm going to introduce... Uh, Andrew Doylety now, who is known to many of you as the creator of Titania McGrath, the social justice warrior who is a parody. Um, some people still don't know that she is a parody, but she is. Um, Andrew has written two books under the moniker of uh, Titania McGrath and is about to release a third book, uh, completely separate to that, uh, called Free Speech and Why It Matters. And I'm sure we'll be hearing uh, a lot about why it matters tonight. Uh, Andrew will be familiar to some people from appearances on The Moral Maze and from Sky News and, and is a prolific writer and playwright as well. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Andrew Doyle. Unveil yourself, sir. Huh. <laughs> Hello. Have I unveiled myself? You have. Okay, I'm not very technical. I, I'm, I'm really not. But uh, You and me both, Andrew. Okay, <laughs> fine. Well, here I am anyway. Hello Andrew. Andrew, hello Andrew, how are hello, you? Sajid. By the way, did you know that this is, because I'm a deaf person, this is uh, this is clapping for deaf people. I did know so that. I'm pretty sure as a deaf person, even this I would understand is clapping, but you know, so you could just do that without, it's because <laughs> it's, it's, it's we're tired during lockdown, so you don't have to um, put I don't, them together. I don't, I don't require the adulation. <laughs> yeah, I don't require the adulation, I don't know about you, but I do, Andrew. Um, it's, it's a joy to have you on the show. We we're just talking just before it's the show started. It's particularly nice because I haven't seen, I saw Julian very relatively recently, but I haven't seen Sajila. I haven't seen you for a long time. Long it's time. Been recently, time. But it was Edinburgh 2019, I believe. It, it was, but that feels relatively recent in the grand yeah. scheme of things, doesn't it? it does the, la the last thing. Edinburgh Fringe there ever was and maybe ever will be. Um, but I think, I think with Sajila, it was much longer ago. It was I don't know. I have a feeling actually now, 2019, it rings a bell that I think we might have seen each other there. Oh, okay. 2019, yes, definitely. Uh, and it's it's really joyful. You can't understand, um, you know, people who are tuning in uh, it, because the, we spend so much time on the road, like comedians, you know, our industry, reviewers, whatever. And to sort of see each other close and personal, it, gets, it does get quite emotional for me anyway, because it just reminds me of what I'm missing. Um, and I miss all of it, all the crazy, mad nonsense of it. But you've been writing, haven't you, Andrew? I've been writing mostly, yeah. Yes, you have been writing. And I've just pre-ordered your book, which I am so cannot wait, because I know you've already written Woke, A Guide to Social Justice. But the new one is Free Speech and Why It Matters. Is that right? Yeah, that's, uh, I've written that, not Titania. So I've written it under my own name. As yourself, yes. And yeah. I'm really excited about that. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that book, please? Well, it's the sort of book I, I wouldn't have thought I'd ever have to write. But it's a um, it's basically a defence of 
free speech because uh, there's a lot of people who are very skeptical about it now um often actually for quite good reasons so i wanted to write a a defense um going through the various reasons why people are concerned about unlimited speech and why actually on balance it's better to just allow everyone to say whatever they want and not get the state involved and because there's more and more um state encroachments on free speech now in particular as well as big tech uh, the issue of big tech censorship, which is obviously what your show is more about, the sort of Twitter aspect of things. And all of those things have sort of colluded to create a situation where people believe that free speech as a concept is a threat to equal rights. And I'm actually trying to make the point that the opposite is true and that actually the only way to guarantee rights for everyone, including um, vulnerable groups, is through free speech for all. And that includes free speech for people you don't like. And that, that seems to be the thing that gets gets me in hot water from time to time because if you're defending free speech for everyone it means you also have to defend the right of people you can't stand to say what they want and 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 the problem is when you do that people automatically say oh so you support what they're saying and of course that's a very important distinction no you're absolutely not but you don't have to defend speech that isn't controversial it requires no defense so this is why it's it's quite hard actually to to stand up for the principle in in today's climate so that's why i wrote it well, it's, I'm really looking forward to that. I, would, I think I'd urge everybody to kind of just put a link into the uh, chat group. Um, uh, if Julie could just maybe to the people on, on Facebook, that'd be great. But you can just find it. It's it's called, again, could you just remind us, Free Speech and Why It Matters, right? Uh, by Andrew Doyle. And it's a question we ask. I mean, I don't know, as comedians, we get asked once a year. I at least get asked once a year by, a, 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 this is smiling because I can tell this is the same thing, about how we feel about freedom of speech. And it's like, um, I don't know how many times you need to keep bloody telling you, we've told you we, 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 we're all for it. We can't do our jobs uh, it, unless, you know, we, we, we have that speech. And I'm in agreement with you, um, having faced, you know, right wing groups, maybe even sort of racism, disabled and whatever, I still would have that choice of them to say what they want to say and ignore that, then make a big song and dance about, uh, you know, my right to be offended by comments that people are saying because of course they're going to say that and that, that sounds really messed up maybe in, and maybe I'm saying that as eloquently as you just put it Andrew um, but it does bring me to a first tweet of mine which kind of links into this which I would like you to comment on it's uh, Tez Elias's uh, um, okay. and he's commenting on um, it, was, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was actually one of the first ones a week or yeah. so ago mm -hmm. an Indian comedian who's been charged with insulting Hindu deities after right wing, um, this is why freedom of speech is so important. So yeah, we got it. Yeah, and it goes links into the article in the in the Independent, um, where uh, Manawa Faruqi, he's a young stand up comedian from Gujarat, was arrested by the police along with four other people on Friday after several members of a fringe group um, uh, led by Elvia Gore, the son of a local politician uh, from the BG, BG, BJP party, ambushed him after the show. This is horrific because I can imagine that in the UK, somebody doesn't like what you just said on on stage, you know, just just say your shit, heckle your shit, and then you know get handled in that way. But to be ambushed afterwards by the police or by a, a right wing group. Now I suspect in this instance it's more to do with um, Modi, uh, the fact that he's he's making political political comments rather than the religious ones. But they're the two sort of main areas that people do get very very sensitive about. So. Um, do you, do you, have you seen this story, uh, Andrew? I have. I've seen this story. That there was an, another story about um, an Indian comic who was jailed, even though he hadn't told the joke in question. Someone overheard something uh, that he'd said in the green room. Um, I've spoken to a couple of Indian comics um, who who have actually come over to the UK 
um, temporarily. And um, the scene over there, is, it's very risky. Um, it's not, there will be, in fact, I even saw some footage of, of someone I know whose club was, people stormed into the club to prevent the, the show from going on. And it's largely to do with politics. If, if you are, uh, you know, if you're offending the ruling party or if you're offending a certain uh, demographic, people get very... Um, there's a real culture there of just shutting it down. So there's a real problem. And people, comedians in particular, are really risking things to say what they want in India. So we can, what's quite interesting is though, we look at this and we think, well, this would never happen here. And we're quite complacent about this. Mm. Um, and, or oh, that's just something that's going on over there. Um, but I don't think we should be that complacent. I really don't. I mean, we, we, Joe Brand was investigated by police over here for a joke that she told on, on Radio 4. Um, and this is the problem. It's always in increments. Like, I remember... When the um, the Nazi pug, the famous Nazi pug guy who did the joke video where he taught his girlfriend's pug to do a Nazi salute, when that went to court and he was found guilty and I defended that, people kept saying, oh, yeah, but it's, he's not a real comedian. He's just a YouTuber. And I'm like, OK, but what if it then becomes a real comedian? They, they, they were saying, no, it never happened to a real comedian. Then then it does. Then Joe Brand is investigated by the police. And then they say, oh, yeah, but that's just a one off. That won't happen. You know, there is a slippery slope and we've got to watch out for it, I think. Particularly I think comedy. What... Like you said, because anything... I don't think comedy can exist unless you have the potential to offend someone. I don't think it can. It's such a tricky line. I mean, you identified that earlier by saying that you've also got to defend the right for people that you don't like to have their free speech. And that's, you know, the, the pug thing was a was a real schism in the comedy world because you had comedians that either didn't want to talk about it or that were actively, uh, you know, horrified or people who were sort of basically saying, well, you can't go to, to prison for this. So there was a there was a fault line. Well, there were two fault lines there, really. That was surprising, though, to me, because if you recall in 2003, when the Tony Blair government tried to push through the uh, Religious and Racial Discrimination Act, which would have seen any comic mocking religion potentially uh, arrested or at the very least their show cancelled while the police could investigate it. Comedians were really up in arms and unanimous about it. And there was that, that campaign by Rowan Atkinson and yeah. everyone was on side, right? And that was 2003. Then the Nazi pug thing happened and I got a lot of flack from comedians for defending him and everyone pretty much shut up about it. And now Rowan Atkinson says something and loads of comedians are saying, well, he just he's just a racist then. He's on the side of the racist. Something has changed in the culture. Yeah. Yeah. Comedians themselves are policing other comedians and, and, and for some okay. reason taking taking jokes literally in a way that they didn't 17 years ago so i don't know what that is about i i find it a bit unnerving to be honest do you think it might be like appeasing to the masses is because they think that's where the you know it's like you know there's a joke that comedians oh who books that gig is it oh it's, it's it's black comedian only wanted but who books that gig you know can i get in there oh i've got like you know an ancestor who might be black or my sister married a black man you know what I mean? there's, there's there's this kind of desire to be in the in group and, and get those gigs and that now because being woke or or, or, or being political correct or you know all these things which we should be anyway i think we naturally are the whole idea that this has now become fashionable or or like on trend is you know we should just should be, be decent human beings is it that comedians are now thinking well um that's going to get me more fan base because that's where the youth culture is kind of coming in then if i actually say because i have to be agree with you I, I didn't, I, I thought the pug thing was like, I, I, you know, I, I was defending that not because of what it was saying, but because we just thought, well, where does this stop? And I've had to go on for God knows how many years since 9-11, you know, uh, on after, a, a, you know, a comedian who might have been doing jokes about terrorism and all Muslims, are, you know, terrorists and stuff. And, and of course, it's, it's, it's smart and it's difficult then to go on stage afterwards. But then I had to find my own way to sort of manoeuvre around that. But would I want them to stop saying that, to stop offending me? No, because that... 
that is a slippery road and that's what people can't understand if you belong to a certain group they want to be offended for me oh Aisha's here by the way yeah I'm just sorting that out so yeah I mean do you think this is more about comedians trying to sort I of or is it that know. the culture is changing I don't know about this you see because I never like to guess what people are thinking and and I, I, I suspect it, I think it's largely to do with fashion I think that's absolutely true but I also think a lot of people for whatever reason, have bought into this uh, narrative, this myth, that we are living in a, a, a country that is crawling with fascists, which which is just simply not borne out by the, the facts. So I think that means people, for some reason, mistrust comedians more than ever and mistrust jokes and humour because they feel that, that you're disguising some kind of malevolent intention. But I don't think that's... I mean, you, Sajili, you know as well, I couldn't name you a homophobic, racist comedian. I don't know any... And I've been on the circuit for a long time. I don't know those people. I don't know where they are. And so therefore, when I hear a comedian joking about, for instance, if I hear a comedian joking about gay marriage or something, I never, or, or gay people, I never assume, oh, is he, he's being homophobic. He doesn't like gay people. I think, what's he trying to do there? This might be something a bit more, I give them the benefit of the doubt because they're comedians and they're, they're doing, pr probably doing something a bit cleverer than that. And I think there's a mistrust now, a literal mindedness where you hear, it's that thing of people mistake uh, the the subject of the joke for the target of the joke to give you a, a very specific example to make it clear when louis ck did uh his that that set got leaked and it was a joke about the school shootings in america and the headline at the independent said louis ck mocks survivors of school shooting right now unless you ha you are literally you have no brain it's absolutely clear that louis ck does not think it's funny that people were murdered like that's just a given isn't it but if you're uh, but if the headline of the independent of a national newspaper can be that literal minded and frankly stupid then it's not surprising that so many other people are taking things so literally i think it's to do with literal mindedness that's what i think it is do you also think maybe if it's coming in the tops because obviously it's, it's not just comedians it's like the, just a culture generally work culture yeah. you know um in every sort of sphere of our life um it, it's it's it, it is becoming like you, you can't, you've got to be careful what you say. And I wonder if that might be somehow those who empower, it's a way to kind of control by saying, oh, you can't say this word or you can't do this. And that person definitely, uh, there's that part of it where there's, I feel there's someone, you know, we're being trying to, people are trying to control us. But alongside that, how, if, if, if that's, if if we are not allowed to say what we feel, if we are not allowed to open that dialogue by sometimes saying something that maybe something doesn't want to hear, then we can't actually resolve stuff because it goes beyond comedy. It's not just comedians not being able to say stuff. It's about us not having that conversation on social media, say, you know, if you weighed in and everybody else weighed in, oh, you're a racist, you're this, you're that, you know, because I refuse to use a hashtag on, you know, just we Charlie... I'm a I'm a terrorist sympathizer. Everybody's got to have an opinion, either one way or another. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's 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 almost like it stops the conversation from happening. I think and all of I agree. I think all of our problems now, or so many of our problems, are down to the fact that people just aren't talking anymore. And I think social media is a big part of that. And we, and and it does uh, encourage that kind of echo chamber scenario. And then when you do talk to people who disagree with you in a sensible adult way, face to face, you normally work out pretty quickly they're not evil. They just have a different way of looking at the world than you. But that, that you know, it's too easy on, on Twitter to just assume you're talking to a monster and, yeah. and just, you know, and just go on, go on the attack. And that's why I always prefer face-to-face -face conversations, um, to be honest. But And particularly with comedy as well, like, 
bear in mind sometimes and you know this as well sometimes comedians will say the things that are deliberately crossing the line because they want to test the limits of people's tolerance that's part of the point and sometimes you hear something in a joke deliberately unacceptable because it is a kind it's it, it it serves as a kind of reminder of why we don't think those things that's it's sort of the prerogative of the comedian to, to do that but it only works if the audience firstly have an understanding of how comedy works but also trust the act that, that they're not no they're not trying to smuggle through this evil fascist ideology they're actually playing with ideas and they're doing something a bit more interesting than that and i think that's what a lot of it is about julian do you want to come in on that Oh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, this, this even just based on this first tweet, really, there could be. Have we gone show. too far too soon? Is that? Yeah, the... we have. Shall yeah, we? Think... Shall we bring uh, Are you showing on? So, gentlemen, ladies, and everybody on Zoom and on 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 Twitter, and everybody else who's following us on uh, live live streaming, um, please welcome to the Zoom room. It's the wonderful Aisha Hazrika, who was a Labour Party special advisor to Gordon Brown, Harriet Harman and Ed Miliband from 2007 to 2015. Um, she's a much sought after political commentator and broadcaster. In fact, she's just rushed over from doing her radio show right now um, on, on the Times Radio. She's on TV and radio. Uh, she's been on BBC, uh, BBC's Andrew Marr show, Newsnight, Sky News. What has she not done? She's been everywhere. <laughs> she's a bloody wonder woman uh, uh, uh you know an obe oh my gosh it's just endless and i'm very proud to call her a friend uh, please welcome it's a wonderful aisha hasrika everybody Woo, oh, that was such a day. lovely intro thank you so much <laughs> if i die prematurely will you do my funeral because that is probably as good as it's going to get oh bless you why are we not seeing aisha in the four we've got uh, you, uh, i'm seeing her in my four if you go to view side by side speaker Aisha is pinned and oh, COVID. Uh -huh. And uh, you're in a part, you're part of our lovely quad now, Aisha. Thank you so oh. much for hot footing it from uh, Times Radio. Well, thank you it. so much for asking me to take part in this. It's I, from what I've just caught of Andrew, it sounds very interesting. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I should, should, should probably fill, do you want to fill her in, um, uh, Julian? Well, we've, we've opened the whole can, uh, can of worms about censorship, uh, starting with a tweet that uh, um, Sajila shared about an Indian comedian who was charged with uh, insulting uh, Hindu deities. And we've, we've run the gamut now. We've done the whole Marcus Meachin uh, sort of uh, hug, salute and so on and so forth. And just talking about um, free speech in general. We've actually had a comment from one of our uh, Zoom rumours do you think that the reason so many activists refuse to discuss or debate is actually that uh, they have no real point of view to answer or defend? It just demonstrates the weakness of their position. Uh, is that to me? Well, it's a th I'll throw that one open. <laughs> well, I mean, I just talked, caught the tail end of what Sajila and Andrew were saying, and there's quite a lot that I would agree with, but definitely Andrew's point of... Uh, social media just makes you know everything a, a, a war zone and then when you meet people face to face and you can look them in the eye you can have a much more humane conversation but I do think that like I think it's not fair to say that you know everybody just criticizes everybody because they have not got a point of view I think they do have a point of view I think one of the reasons why things have got so wild on social media, and I get this a lot, I mean, I literally can't do anything on social media without getting attacked from the left, 
from the right. You know, I, I just displease everybody all of the time. I get racist abuse. I then get abuse for not being like Muslim enough or not being Indian enough or not. But, you know, it just, you know, you can never do right for, for, for wrong. But I do think one of the reasons why people just exploded on, on, on social media is particularly now that's all they have and that everyone is just pent up, frustrated. And to be fair, there is a, a lot to be justified to be, you know, pissed off about right now um, from politics to COVID to you might have lost your job. This, I mean, I get it. Is that there is this there is this rage and social media becomes the place where you can just kind of expend your rage. And I think for a lot of people there's this like this kind of weird psychological thing is they sort of feel that the only kind of thing they have control over is splurging all this sort of their opinion and their anger and their rage at everybody on, on social media. So for them, it provides this catharsis, even though the irony is it's only making things worse because it is polarizing everybody. It is making things, it's making political discourse worse. It's, you know, it's kind of making things very, very um, divisive, but it's a sense of, I think it's a sort of, it's a sort of, it's a howl, it's a cry of, of pain for a lot of people because they do just feel they've got no power over their lives. Everything is shit right now. But, oh, look, I've just trolled, you know, Aisha has a God, I just feel like really good about myself because I've called her a total twat. And great, I'm really happy that's made you feel good. But it's not really going to stop Boris Johnson being in government, you know. <laughs> so, you know, so I think there's I think there's a lot in that as well. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I know I know personally that you've, you've actually have been upset by comments in the past and you've just had to grow thicker skin, which most people who are on social media, you know, who are getting all that kind of uh, abuse. And I think it's, it's not acceptable. However, um, it has to be said that you and I come from countries where we would not be allowed, you know, obviously you're from India, from Pakistan. We would not. I remember being in Pakistan, in Karachi, in a cafe and talking about the politics there at the time. And being told to leave the restaurant because of, you know they didn't, and I was like, "What? That's I'm I'm let's why I say freedom of speech." And um uh and it was like, "No, no, we just don't." And then they showed me the sign on the door, like no politics, no religion. Um, so I'm very thankful for the the, the freedom of speech we do have here. So I I do feel it's such an important thing. And so in social media, it's a kind of thing like if obviously with someone like yourself who does get a lot of you know mean people out there just trolling you. Um, to also the, the positive stuff that you are saying that you're getting some followings and leading on to very smoothly or unsmoothly or clunkily to your first tweet, which I'd like to bring in, which is kind of on topic. Moving on to the next thing is David Bedil's, um tweet that you've got from. Do you want to talk about that? I think. If, oh, uh, yeah. So this was so. Um, so David Bedil, let me just get this up on my. Oh, yeah. Here we go. So this is the Rachel Riley. Um, yeah, this is it. Yes. So David Bedil tweets this kind of like jokey um thing and uh his title is let me just get is it is it Jews don't hang on where is it let me just don't count. count Jews Jews don't count and it's this you know he's written this like incredible book about the the ravages of the anti-semitism has taken on him and how it's the new acceptable form of racism and of course I, mean, I can't believe I'm having to explain it to you, but just go with me. Jews don't count as and they don't matter. And of course, Rachel Riley has, you know, chipped in with a wee bit of humour going, ha ha, I take great offence at this title because of course, Rachel Riley is on countdown. She can definitely count. She's a walking maths genius. She is also Jewish. And then you just get all these people. It's a joke and it's an obvious joke. And then all these people start trolling Rachel Riley. I think there's some other um, nice. tweets um, 
Where's she gone? Like, yeah. <laughs> Which is like, uh, Rachel, uh, looks like you've got absolutely zero support on this. We're <laughs> at a loss to understand your face. <laughs> and it's like she's a Jewish mathematician. And poor Rachel, right? Rachel Riley just has like, gets fucking trolled all the time by anti-Semites and she's just made this like quite good kind of ha 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 witty kind of joke and again all these people just like pile on her and you're just like oh my god this is like Twitter at its utter worst like just a horrible racist anti-Semitic and devoid of any humour or wit whatsoever and then that brings us to the point apologize. is that people sorry sorry Julian that person did later apologise for their misunderstanding I noticed in a, in a tweet just underneath that. Yeah, I mean, good on Haley for apologizing. Good on, good on Haley. There were loads of other, obviously, loads of blokes that piled in, going, "You ought to be ashamed of yourself." And, <laughs> and it's like, dude, she is. But also, what was so brilliant about that is that they um, kind of revealed their own sort of anti-Semitism because she's got blonde hair. Like everybody doesn't think she could possibly be like Jewish, so she gets, she almost gets like a double penalty on that. So it, it was just, it was kind of like a sort of perfect example of just how this is like Twitter at its utter worst. Like, like judgy, stupid, and really lacking in any humour. And that's the thing, isn't it? And I just wonder why why do we have so many misunderstandings on Twitter like that? I mean, I, I, I don't feel I have the same in real life as as many as that that you see all these pylons, as you say. Why why or Twitter? Why where, how do we lose the meaning of what, what what's intended? How can people get it so wrong? Or is that just like because of the nature of the beast of this, you know, you only can say so many words. Or... Just That's pretty idea. clear. I don't understand how many more words you need. It was pretty kind of clear that this is not it. it, it how are people taking things literally? I don't get it. It's is playing it, to their own. It's playing to what their agenda is, though. And it's it's, you know, once they see something that could fall in line with a thought that they want to express, then they'll people will sort of grab hold of it. I mean, we did an interview just recently in the British Comedy Guide, and one of the questions was, what's the worst thing about Twitter? And it just occurred to me that there used to be the saying of, well, people wouldn't say the same in real life as they do on Twitter. And Andrew, I know you did sort of allude to that earlier, but I also think there's an element of like, people say on Twitter what they want to say in what they really like to say in real life. And that isn't necessarily healthy. It's a bit like the pent up anger actually that you were talking about earlier, Aisha. Can I can I can I play a little bit of devil's advocate just to just to just to say that it's possible as well because Twitter's this public platform that people don't know the full context. For instance, Haley may never have heard of Rachel Riley before and might mm. therefore not not get get the joke. And I bet she's pretty embarrassed now um, when she realizes what it is. But the problem there is people just jump in without thinking or investigating, and they have this kind of knee jerk reaction and 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 uh, and get very angry and 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 upset and uh, end up making fools of themselves. That's why I always think with Twitter, it's always best just to think a little bit before you <laughs> hit send. Yeah, you need to check. They should have, you know how you can have breathalyzers. They need to have something on, on mobile phones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sentient and in control of your own. Like don't drink and tweet. That is oh, like a very I mean, bad. Oh, it's very, I mean, this is why celebrities get caught out all the time if they're drunk, because they haven't got their PR people in. Oh, oh yeah, I'm so jealous, Aisha. Anything I'm, could yeah. happen. Anything could happen. I'm still on dry January, so I'm, I'm, I'm waiting till tomorrow. But I think, yeah, you're absolutely, like they get into so much trouble with tweeting stuff. And look, we all say things we don't mean and we all make mistakes in our speech, right? But yeah. in real life, no one hears us or we're allowed or it's our mates and we can say oh sorry about that on twitter people screenshot it it's there forever don't they they love that when you when you make a mistake oh, people love a screenshot i get hounded a lot because of like screenshots and i get i mean that's actually normally from the from the like more left 
um, wing of politics where like, you know, I'm, I'll have replied to somebody and that people will hound me with it. Like it's a massive gotcha yeah. moment. And you're like, it, it, it really sort of isn't. But listen, if, again, I sort of feel like if that makes you feel like a lot better in yourself, then, then, then go for it. But the other problem, I think one of the reasons as well about why everything gets so heated so quickly is that there's very little space for any nuance in, in Twitter, just in terms of, you know, how it's designed. Um, I mean, we all know that the algorithm and the design of it, it is designed to provoke strong reactions. And it is a setup where anger actually is like the best emotion. Outrage is the best emotion on Twitter. You get so many, like if you if you tweet something kind of funny and nuanced, you get a few re retweets. If you, if you tweet something which is just absolute pure outrage, you'll get so many mm -hmm. more retweets. It like kind of thrives on outrage. And then I think like when you're in this kind of cycle of outrage, and I do go back to my central point, I do, I do have sympathy for people because people, everything is quite shit at the moment. Everyone is very upset and you know they need a sort of venting of emotion and anger and everything like that. But then this kind of ma mania descends on you. Like when you're in the middle of a Twitter storm or you're fighting with somebody on Twitter, it is like a mania. And I think like even the most calm people just get sort of something takes over, the brain starts firing in a certain way. And, this sort of aggression comes out and it, 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 you can just see quite kind of calm, rational people just suddenly like descend into this aggression, this fury. And I think that is just, I mean, that's how the whole thing is, is designed. So I do have, I mean, I get annoyed when people do it to me and it is horrible being part of a pylon, but it is important to remember that structurally this whole thing is designed brilliantly to make us behave like this as well. And it does a very good job. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing yeah. job. So I've listen, we did talk, we did yeah. mention um, uh, Andrew's book earlier on. And obviously, you know, in balance, because you have a book out too. And in fact, all three of you have got books, uh, apart from me. I haven't got a book. Somebody give me a book deal. Um, yeah, and it, it's it's uh, Punch and Judy Politics. Can you just let, um, you know, anyone who's tuning in to let, let them know a little bit more about that, please? So uh, Punch and Duty Politics is an insider's guide to the art of Prime Minister's questions. You, you may not think there is any art to it, but believe you me, there is a lot of preparation that goes into it. So I worked as a political advisor, as Sajila said, um, and I, um, I, I basically, one of my jobs was to help prepare uh, various leaders for Prime Minister's questions. And it was a big part of my life. It was incredibly interesting, but it was like really stressful as well, because it is, you know, one of the focal points of the week for Parliament. I mean, obviously pre-social distancing, the chamber would be absolutely packed. It was a bit like a sort of football terrace, lots of noise, lots of heckling, and lots of people don't like that. And they think it's the worst aspect of our politics. But I have to say it is also really interesting and there is a theatre to it. And so I was very much in part of that. But I, I did lots of research and I noticed nobody had ever written a book about it. Like it had come up in people's memoirs, like Tony Blair had written a wee bit about it, about what it was like. And it dominates, if you're the leader of a political party, it does dominate your week a lot, whether you're asking the question as leader of the opposition or answering the question as prime minister. So um, me and my colleague, Tom Hamilton, we used to work together on prime minister's questions. We decided to write this book, which was sort of, um, you know, a history of prime minister's questions right back to sort of when it began, but also kind of revealing the curtains and behind the scenes of what it's like to prepare um, senior politicians for this weekly joust. So if you're a bit of a political nerd and you like a bit of political history and you like a bit of knowing what goes on behind the scenes, then this book might be for you. If not, you're going to think it's awful. 
Well, I think it's I think it's a nice um, both books have got great content that I, I, I think uh, I've ordered mine, by the way, Aisha. Oh, I was hoping all these years you might give me one, but I'm going to order ordered it now to put money into your pocket. I'm Scottish and I'm Indian. I'm tighter <laughs> than anyone ever imagined. I've not even given my parents a free coffee. But it's fine. I've got I've got it now because obviously you've got to eat out to what is it eat, eat out to put out? No, what was the what's the thing? <laughs> That's a different thing, Sajila. That is a very different thing. Yeah, I think it's a, a different side, Sajila. So there's a couple of ways to go from 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 this slightly slightly looping back to um, because we're basically sort of demolishing Twitter for the last. last yeah, let's just what we've done for There's yeah. a couple. Well, I mean, I think in this in the sweep of doing this, Andrew, there's a couple of tweets that I wanted to well I picked out this one from well you picked out this one from Helen Pluckrows but I also want to go back to um the bird whatever the Twitter thing yeah. is called the bird hunt or whatever it is but I mean this is this tweet you've picked out here is is solely about Twitter as well isn't it it is I'm afraid uh, that there does seem to be a theme here so this is Helen Pluckrose who is an academic uh her she recently wrote a book called cynical theories with james Lindsay, which is all about the origins of uh what we now call the woke movement and how actually it's it's, it's very much come from the postmodern uh aspects of of uh higher education a lot of people don't understand quite where all of this has come from and the book is really really good at sort of systematically going through that through that and explain why it's such, explaining why it's such a threat to social liberalism but um helen is a very good person very uh a uh, good-hearted person whose intentions are great and she wants uh, to advance her argument is all about the liberal view of society which is free speech uh, the idea that we treat everyone equally irrespective of race gender sexuality etc equality for absolutely everyone of course the social justice woke movement is against that and believes in in equity and, and believes in seeing people first and foremost through their race sexuality and gender the sort of opposite of liberalism so um now, whatever you think about Helen's view and whichever view you take on that, I mean, I've just said what my view is. Um, the point is we can't have a discussion. So lots of people say to Helen on Twitter, she gets trolled endlessly every day with people calling her a fascist, saying uh, she's, she's a racist, uh, she hates gay people, etc. Which is so far from the truth, it, it actually beggars belief. And what she's saying in this tweet is, basically, I'm going to leave you all now to go on about the evilness of the version of me you have created. Anyone who wants to know what I actually think can look at anything I've actually said or written. It is actually impossible to read her book or read anything she said and come away with the conclusion that she's an evil fascist monster. It's impossible. The point is that people are arguing with a figment of their imagination. And I can empathise with this because um, the, 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 the trolls that I get every day, the people um, calling me all these names and fascist and Nazi and whatever, they don't know what I think. 99% of the time when people attack me on Twitter, they're attacking something in their own heads. So they say to me things like, oh, you're a Tory voter. Uh, and, you know, then I say to them, well, I've never voted Tory. And they say, oh, yeah, but, you you know, you're a straight white male. And then I say, OK, well, I'll let my boyfriend know about that then. And then it's like, oh, but you do you think this, you think that, you think the other. And they're never right. So they're just and they're just arguing with something they've made up in their head. And then when you correct them on these things, they can never admit they're wrong. So what they will then say is that you're secretly uh, believing these things that they know that you believe and. And it's so it's quite infuriating. I just block people like that because I don't think you can talk to someone who's effectively arguing with themselves. But Helen, do, Helen um, doesn't do that. And, and I think it, uh, in, in this tweet, I think she's hit, hit the nail on the head that it's just it's just people scrapping with ghosts. And I do think this is why I got I raised that point earlier about if people could just talk to each other more, 
if you talk to the people that you disagree with more, you would suddenly realise that the, the, the way that you are demonising people in your head isn't accurate. It's just not true. It's, it's, you're making yourself angry over nothing. The, the boring truth is most people are quite nice. That's the really boring truth. Um, there are some awful people out there, but there's not many. In Proportionately, there's not many, you know. Uh, and so therefore, I think the best thing is to assume the best of people and to, you know, argue in good faith and say, OK, this is what I think you believe. Have I got that right? Uh, and this is why I might disagree with that, as opposed to this is what you think and you are therefore evil, which is what Helen's talking about here. Very, very valid point there, Andrea. This is what I've got. I love you. <laughs> because Most that's exactly that right. It's going to be on the bio now. Yeah. Just <laughs> so, and it's so absolutely true, because when you see someone from one prism only, that's all you see, that they're bad and evil. And actually, very few people. That's that's a lovely, lovely viewpoint. Um, Aisha, uh, uh, I know you get lots of trolling and stuff. Would you? Would you kind of? Because you did kind of have sympathy as well, didn't you? For, yeah, I mean, yeah. I do with a lot of that. However, what I would see is that, like, I'd say there's sort of two types of trolling. I mean, I can only speak from my own experience. So the trolling I get, which is people who, and I do agree with Andrew that a lot of people put the frame on you and this this. Um, this tweet, I, the, I, it really does resonate with me. You know, there are a lot of people who, for example, will demonise who I am. So I get a lot of um, really non-stop uh, kind of trolling, non-stop from the hard left, saying that I'm a conservative. Um, I'm a supporter of the Conservative Party, even though I basically worked for the, dedicated my childbearing years to the <laughs> Labour Party. But literally, literally, what's that sound? That your ovaries withering as you gave your life to the fucking <laughs> Labour Party? But yeah, I'm a Tory, obviously. Yeah, I, get that. I get, I get a lot of that. Um, and again, I, it's an, it's, it's sometimes upsetting. It's kind of, but I don't think all those people are inherently like evil people. As I said, I think there's a lot of rage. I think there's a lot of frustration. I think they feel better by taking it out in some, someone like me. I kind of get it. And actually, if I probably met them in the pub, you know, after you know they might throw a drink over me, we'd probably actually end up having quite a good chat and find that we've got more in common. There is, however another group of people who troll me who are just racist twats to be honest mm -hmm. and they're the kind of people who actually I would feel quite intimidated if I met them in real life and um, somebody telling me to like you know piss off back to you know where I came from which by the way is Glasgow and people sending me horrible horrible racist stuff that's not uh, oh they've just demonized me they've not they've just made up something to kind of send they I mean I've had physical threats I've had so I think you have to you know, put it in those two categories. So I would say that there are some people who get, you know, really horrible to me, but I kind of, I can understand that they're frustrated. And there's another group of people, which uh, I'm sorry, I, I just think they're pretty fucking racist, horrible people. And I would not really like to meet them. And it's unacceptable. It's un yeah. unacceptable. And I know we had this conversation before how I think for women, it's a lot worse on, on social media uh, in terms of the, the, the kind of the vile things that are said and the threats that are made. Yeah. Um, which which still why like to so say you know you wouldn't do that in in real life so why why do it on, on social media and I, and I think um, that's where I think the grey area then becomes like if you regulate how far do you regulate because you don't want to I don't want to see my friends getting you know that kind of vile abuse um, and and thanks for bringing the wine as well <laughs> we should have told well, we should have all got why didn't we the, think of that as a resident Muslim I do I feel it's important to push back on the stereotypes so just to, if there's any Islamophobic trolling this is especially yeah, for yeah. you let me just go and get my bacon sandwich as well so we can really push it back 
I think that's really, I think that's a really important distinction that Aisha just made as well. Is that that you, you you do have to acknowledge when people are just vile, then you know those are the sort of people that I just block. You know, because uh, I tend to get attacked by the far left and the far right. So I I, I know exactly what Aisha's talking about there, and I think those are the just the sort of yeah, I'm not talking about those sorts of people, but I think they do sh they do share something in common, which is that they're delusional. So there's a kind of mass delusion. If you if you are the sort of person who ha has this view of people who are of a, of a different ethnicity or or whatever than you, you are also scrapping with a monster of your head. You're also um, uh, lack rational or the capacity for rational thought. So you're all, so so I think a lot of it is about delusion. And I'm not for a second excusing that behaviour. Uh, I'm I'm saying that those people are just I think they're unforgivable and I just ignore them. Um, but I also think the same of the people who mischaracterize in this way. It's very interesting that both you and I have been accused of being Tories. Um, but, but what I would add to that is, um, I, I always say to people, well, what if I were? Why would it matter if I were? Why, why, why would it matter if I voted Tory? Why, why in your head has that suddenly become the epitome of evil or the equivalent of Satan? That doesn't make any sense to me. I think it's really sad. I, I agree. In fact, you're talking about and being accused of being Tories. Um, I don't know if it's a good place to admit this, but um, I've done the gigs for all the different parties, and I have to say, purely based on monetary gain, apart from I am a, I am a lefty, always have been, and I was offered a gig by the Tory party, and I said no. My father would turn in his grave. There is no way I am doing this gig ever. And then they wrote down the sum of money that kind of for a mum of a young child, single mum of a young child, thinking of all the things that she could do for that child, said, oh, OK, then I'll do it. But then I'm going to derail the gig, <laughs> which I tried to do at the beginning. And they still they hated me from the beginning. I was hosting it. So, um, yeah, I'm shamefully saying that, you know, money bought me. But only because they <laughs> that is how evil the Tories are. No, they seduced me. So. So, Julie, we've got to go where the money is, right? Gotta go where the money is. So, <laughs> so listen, the money. You were trying to, you were trying to bring down the system from within. You were trying yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I really think we should cut that bit when we put it out. I don't think I should have admitted to that. Oh, <laughs> Another fun. Adrian Charles moment there, Sajila. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, so I mean, listen. Without I mean, we've actually in terms of the, the sort of title, "Let's Kill Twitter," we've really, really sort of locked really into what we normally yeah. do. And we made around. I'm so. Very quickly to round it off, um, Andrew. Let's let's yeah. let's just flag up Birdwatch because it well, does... I'm I'm really mistrustful of Twitter anyway because their their so-called terms of service are so meaningless. They just apply it wherever they want. They don't. They've got this set of rules that are so vague. What it actually means is they can ban you because they don't like your opinion, basically, uh, and they can get away with it. Um, and um, and they do this absolutely all the time. It, it's particularly targeting at the moment gender critical feminists. They tend to have their accounts boosted, uh, just deleted uh, because Twitter just doesn't agree with their opinion. Uh, and yet at the same time, Twitter claims to be for free speech. It absolutely isn't. Uh, and it's really scary as well. When, I've been kicked off Twitter a number of times for nothing and then for jokes, actually. And then when you appeal, they say they you just get an automated response back. So they don't even tell you what your crime is, which is straight out of Kafka. It's where, it's where you, you get in trouble, but you're not told what you've done wrong. Um, and now what they're introducing is, and to be fair to Twitter, they're under a lot of pressure to deal with misinformation and fake news from various governments. So they've introduced this thing, Birdwatch, where people can flag up misleading information, incorrect information. The problem is that Twitter itself promotes 
false information all the time. It's just their view of what they would like to be true. So it's it, they're so ideologically driven that I can't see how this is going to work. It's it's it's. I've always said that with fa- false information, the best the best solution to that is better information to discredit something through 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 rigorous argument. Um, if for instance, when you when you um when you when they banned Donald Trump, for instance, it was a real coup when they banned Alex Jones. I mean, Alex Jones's whole shtick is basically. I'm, it's a big global conspiracy and they're all trying to censor me. And then they censored him and they proved his point. And that's such a stupid thing to do. You're giving them the moral high ground. It's such a mistake. So this is Twitter just cracking down even more. And it, 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 I think it's going to self-destruct in the end, to be honest. I think I think we won't be able to do this show. In well, I, so the last show, we, we, we touched on this and I did sort of say, I'm worried that we're going to have to kind of call it let's kill insert format here because I sort of start to think, you know, I'm starting to think the same thing. I'm actually thinking that it's starting to implode. Well, I mean, it's, not just, it's not just that they ban people they don't. I mean, look, if, if someone's breaking the law, get rid of them. If someone's posting illegal material, libel, uh, incitement, you know, that's a legitimate thing to do. If someone's posting an opinion you don't like and you're you're getting rid of them and then they, and then they say, well, set up your own platform if you don't like it. And then when Parler emerges, they actually delete someone else's website. They, they Amazon completely just uh, wouldn't allow it to be on its server. So therefore, they're not just controlling and policing their own users. They're actually preventing any kind of competition in its nascent form because they are multi-billion dollar corporations, faceless, unaccountable, more power than any major nation state. And weirdly, left wing people are cheering them on and saying, yeah, I want you to police the parameters of acceptable thought. That sounds good. Makes no sense. Folks, any comeback on that? Um, I mean, I definitely think it's uh, I'm uncomfortable with, uh, you know, tech giant well-paid executives being the arbiter of free speech and uh, somebody's just actually I think put in the chat Samantha said any thoughts on Twitter taking down the New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop well I mean I I did feel quite uncomfortable about that I thought that is that was kind of getting into difficult territory and also Twitter and Facebook have always claimed that you know they they just host this stuff they're not they, they don't have editorial control but they are you know sometimes making these editorial judgments I suppose then there is the there's the theory of it and then there's the real politic of it which is if somebody like Donald Trump who let's be honest Twitter did really well off of right I mean Twitter kind of made Donald Trump was a sort of a virtuous and they depended on each other um but I'm glad that Twitter did um uh you know kind of ban him because he was going to be um you know I think ourselves. sorry sorry Aisha I just want to make sure can we just all mute ourselves just if there's any background noise folks if you can, if you can put yourselves on mute Thank you. that would be great sorry sorry carry on Aisha yeah I mean I I, I didn't shed a tear with Donald Trump mm. being, um put off Twitter or, or probably Alex Jones either because I think there does come a point where I do think a point which is then they can be like haha we told you that these people were all like evil but it's everything is a, a kind of a, a balancing act and you know tr- Trump was you know inciting people and you know we, we saw that that had dangerous consequences so I kind of do I, I share the the philosophical sentiments of what Andrew was saying but I think there does come a point where 
um, Twitter does or whoever it is does have to. Mom, they haven't been fed yet. Someone's oh, not been fed. Someone's not been fed. Someone's not been fed. Um, if you can, if you, if there is background noise, people, if you can mute yourselves, that would be tremendously helpful. I should also write that in the chat. So you share, you share some of the, um, yes, I see what you're saying. I see the distinction. Definitely. So the que the question comes down to with Trump. I mean, look, I'm I've been very vocally critical of Trump for a long time, and I feel it would be very easy for me to rejoice in him being booted off. But I I think uh, you know, when um, a, a small group of uh, unelected billionaires can uh, deplatform the uh, the elected leader of the free world, that makes me very very nervous. Uh, you know, it even made Angela Merkel nervous. She she even said that this wasn't. This wasn't right. And I think it's, it is most definitely in the public interest to hear what what he has to say. And it is, I think, a form of political interference. And and it makes me it just makes me very nervous. I think, sure, the people I don't like, I mean, my instinct is, oh, I wish they just shut up. I wish they just go away. But then you've got to balance that against the precedent you're setting and the power that you are granting to 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 people who are completely unaccountable and have their own agenda and their agenda let's face it is avaricious it is to make money it is to sell our data to, to advertisers these aren't our moral guardians these aren't our guiding angels these aren't people that we should be looking to you know and actually twitter does a pretty good job of handling donald trump when he tweets something out that's utterly absurd and ridiculous you should look at the replies you should look at the way that other users expose whenever he lies they expose it it's very very clear and i don't need my hand held by by people in Silicon Valley, I suppose, is what I'm saying. I think they, they only started doing that quite recently. And I think I was quite uncomfortable, uh, uh, you know, the, again, the sort of from a philosophical point of view, I was thinking, also, it doesn't mean that Donald Trump has, has necessarily gone away. You know, 75 million people did vote for him. But when you have a situation where Capitol Hill gets stormed and however many people are dead and, you know, God knows what could have happened, I think that does cross the line from, hey, this is just some guy with some ideas that maybe I don't like into actually this has crossed over into the real world and it's actually dangerous. I, I take that point. But then I also take the point that the same argument could be used against the Democrat politicians who were inciting violence during the BLM riots. Um, there were a number of them who were openly saying violence is OK in these circumstances. Uh, Kamala Harris was even saying she would uh, raise money for the people who've been put in prison. So uh, yeah, it does work I, uh, both. Well, I, I, I listen, I think that is a really um, I think that is a very dangerous. That's that is not that's a I think that in my view, that's an inaccurate false equivalence. There's a lot of people talking, saying that BLM was the same as these insurrections. They were not. Um, if the I, death I wasn't I wasn't saying they were the same. But, but I, was, well, I was saying I was saying that I think consistently the best thing is to disapprove of violent protest. Whoever does it, no matter what their political views are and be consistent about it. And therefore, if you are saying excusing violence under any circumstances, I can't get on board with that. I don't think anybody would support kind of excusing violence where how many, however it was that six people were, were dead after that. I don't think any politician in their right mind um, should be doing that. And any good person in public life, whatever their politics are. Um, again, I think there's there's the philosophy and the purity of the philosophy. And then there is the what happens in the in real life. And when you have somebody who does have this ability to, to, to whip people up. And we saw the results of, of, of that. And remember that the BLM protests 
were again an outpouring of a lot of upset and frustration for lots of good reasons. The insurrection on Capitol Hill was basically based on false information and they were protesting against something which was not true. But Donald Trump through his social media platforms does have this ability to just whip people up. So again, there's the purity of the philosophy and then there is the reality. And I do think on this Twitter were right. On uh, that I, note, I don't, I don't my hearing aid batteries have gone down. Sorry, I just can't hear a thing now. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah, sorry. I was going to say, we should we should sort of leave it there and take it to something maybe a little bit lighthearted. I was going to bring in, uh, by the way, I'm going deaf now, so I don't, don't know what, what's being said, so just take it over, Julian. It's, it's Aisha's uh, tweet on um, uh, the, the fun one from uh, the Asian oh, household yeah. one, yeah, which yeah. was, um, I believe it was... Yeah, there you go. So oh, I'm yeah. just get my hearing aid batteries put yeah, in. Sorry, to it just it just made me laugh because you know it's just, there's so much like horror on Twitter and there's so much you know everyone fighting with everybody. This just this was just something incredibly simple which just just made me laugh a lot. And I thought this is just a funny thing which I would find funny. I put it into like the Indian family WhatsApp group. Sajila, you will know about this WhatsApp group. It's it's a small group. It's like 40,000 members of my family um, in, in <laughs> India. And it just brought a lot of joy. And it's just very simple, but just made me laugh a lot. No, it's great fun. I have to say. So we want, if we're still we're still in a lighthearted vein, we can actually, uh, given that, that we haven't even talked about Europe yet. So uh, I think we I think we need a sorbet. I mean, uh, let's have a look. Actually, this is quite a nice one from you, Andrew. David yeah, I, I just I, I just thought it was nice because I'm always under pressure with every any TV stuff is like it's about the, the backdrop, isn't it? And there's, the, the people have started sort of examining and scrutinizing what's in your background. I've, I've seen this quite a lot now. So when I when the when the lockdown first started, I was I was just I, they always say to you at the TV studios, you know, make, make sure there's something colorful behind you, something interesting. So, you know, something that isn't just a blank wall and books are very good. So I always used to put the, put the bookshelf behind me. Then, of course, everyone started saying that the bookshelves are almost like an advertisement, like you're trying to boast about how much you read. And and there were and, and people were even zooming in and looking at what books you'd read. Do you remember when Michael Gove got in trouble because there was a book? I can't remember what the book was now, but as, it was as though I mean, he had all sorts of books on that shelf. But they were basically trying to suggest that because one of the authors uh, like had said something, something, wasn't it? something <laughs> controversial, but yeah. we adults read controversial books i read i read all sorts of stuff that i that i don't agree with that's the point but the idea that there's i got in trouble because i had an owen jones book on my shelf and i'm like that's, <laughs> that's not controversial is it um i mean it, i should imagine owen was probably more tormented by that than you could possibly be well, yeah but i but this is my point i you know i read things by people i disagree with i think it's a good thing to do and um so i thought this is quite a good idea is have a just an incredibly hard mathematical equation and that's a good way to boast about your uh, your credentials someone someone made a, a film on zoom that ran behind them of himself walking in and leaving embarrassingly you know which i thought was quite a nice <laughs> quite a nice backdrop it's hard to know i, I, know see what the I mean is the equation is it the vaccine equation <laughs> so, yeah, maybe that's that maybe that's what it is maybe that's the cure i don't know what it is <laughs> Yeah, that'd be great. We've got the cure at our fingertips. Speaking of backgrounds, I've just changed mine, so now I'm yeah, I'm in Dubai. <laughs> I just want you to think I'm living in a mansion. <laughs> you're like an influencer. <laughs> I'm like an influencer. Look at my posh house. I'm sorry, my batteries just died completely then, and I couldn't hear a thing. But yeah, I I I, I um 
I quite I think that's a very uh, it's a very sort of I wouldn't have to worry about what was in my home now uh, before lockdown. But I feel like this pressure to kind of create the right kind of impression like Aisha has very um, kind of I don't know if it's intentional, but you matched your jumper with your wallpaper um, <laughs> which and your furnishings. Which is quite some feet and uh, nicely and beautifully made up as well. You look, 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 look fantastic. So you do look like it's a it's a shoot from Hello Magazine there, which is fantastic. <laughs> well, neither, neither of you are pixelated because beyond this background, just bits of my body start disappearing. But um, Andrew, you're perfectly between your two paintings. Aisha, your background's like a starstruck now because I'm used to seeing you on that background when you're on Jeremy Vine's show. <laughs> oh my God, cool. it's famous. <laughs> <laughs> it's famous, but it's it's all an illusion because round that wall, it's so there's so much mess all stacked up. It's like a sort of jumble sale. Everything is just like out of view. It's all an illusion, which is I a cool point. wrapping paper. Then. <laughs> <laughs> what what have you got in your in your background, Andrew? What are the paintings that you've got? Because obviously you've given us give, bought us this tweet, so you must have thought about what impression am I making on? I mean, on they, <laughs> I, I I promise you, they were just the the pictures that were up already, but. The, that one is the that's William Blake uh, Cerberus, the three-headed dog in hell, uh, and that's an image of Sark, the Isle of Sark. That's a, a cliff on Sark where I sit. I often sit and write on, with my laptop up there. I get a lot of writing done up there, but I can't go there at the moment, obviously because of the lockdown. Yeah, there's a heaven and hell equation going on. Well, there. actually, I hadn't thought of that, but now that yeah. you've, now that you've said it, that could be subconsciously what I was attempting to achieve there. And that you're the balance in between. <laughs> well, we all struggle with, you know, good and evil runs through the heart of everyone. That's what they say. <laughs> so what have we got tweets next? Um, well, I mean, we, it's fair to say that uh, have, we got, have we got the strength for Europe, guys? Have we got the strength for Europe? Um, there's some pretty meaty ones to check. I mean, there's this... this uh, I've always got the strength for Europe. Oh, wait, you've always got the strength for Europe. Well, we did pick a lot of tweets. So, Jill, I'm going to pick up on yours okay. first with Tom Petz reaction to the EU vaccine uh, fandango. It's a polite way of putting it, really. There's no part of the UK's vaccination programme that uh, couldn't have been done as a U U EU member. On the other hand, the EU has now blocked exports of vaccine to the UK, which it couldn't have done had we not left. Brexit is always, in every circumstance, always a shit idea. So, fair point, but I think my argument here would be, um, despite that, it, there's no doubt that this was not exactly uh, house in days for the EU. You've got Dave Schneider. Uh, seriously, I'm a diehard Ramona ultra, but the EU isn't covering exactly covering itself in glory over vaccines. There's a tweet. Uh, well, there's Jim Pickard from the FT basically saying the same thing, handing Boris, uh, you know, a, a boost. Sonia Sonda with her head in her hands about Macron cynically trashing vaccine efficacy against the evidence to make a political point in the most vaccine sceptical nation in Europe. So, you know, a pretty dark side to all of this. Um, I like comedian Alex Keeley's gag about it. In the future, everyone will activate Article 16 for 15 minutes. So basically the EU turned around on what was going to be imposed on the Irish border. Darren Grimes, uh, you know, obviously he was going to have a, a bit of a a go about this, the EU has united the Republic of Ireland, the DUP, Sinn Féin, Labour, the UK government, even the Church of England against uh, against them. Impressive Friday night, lads. And there were a lot of tweets on that vein. Um, and actually, Andrew, yours, just to throw it in, it's not it's pretty much on message. 
which is Abby Roberts. A few months after the EU referendum, I was on a topical YouTube show and the panel of comics was so vicious about anyone who voted leave that I lied. But I now want to shout loud and fucking proud, I voted to leave that vile Ponzi scheme. I think I think I mentioned that one more more to make a point about the intolerance of the comedy community to different political. Yeah, but I mean it's I mean but, I'm, I'm doing it as a as a fleet yeah. same issue. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I think it. I think the the Darren Grimes one is right, and so it, it like I was particularly looking at Northern Ireland and the way in which I've never seen the DUP and Sinn Fein in in lockstep over any issue. Um, but I think all of those tweets show that whatever happens in the future, EU related, either side is going to use it to justify their position or to score points um, against the other side. This is very, very unhelpful. And of course, that's what people are going to do. Um, and it's been such a horrible, the, the, the divisive aspect of the, the whole Brexit debate has been, uh, as we all know, in, incredibly uh, appalling and, and everyone's lost friends over this and families not talking to each other and all, over a political disagreement. I can't get my head around this. This is something I'm always going on about. It's like, we have to be able to disagree without assuming evil we have to be able to do it because if we can't do it we're, we, we're not human beings anymore we're just <laughs> these robots running on running on a program and and sticking to our own little tribe and is utterly nonsensical what what frustrates me about the eu is all the people i know who m are most passionate about it couldn't give a shit in 2015 they had barely even heard of the eu and all of a sudden it's their life it's absolutely everything i've always cared about the eu because i don't like i'm an, i'm a lefty i'm an old school socialist I've never liked what the EU stands for. I don't like neoliberal trading blocks that that um, that effectively attack uh, work, small businesses. I don't like it's big boys club. It's for it's millionaires making money for themselves. I don't like all of that stuff. I don't like bureaucracy. I don't like unaccountability. So I've always had a stake in this. And then all of a sudden, all the people I consider political allies on the left were treating it like some big you know fun kind of lovely sweet organization that's just out for our own good and what this has shown is that it, that it isn't but even by saying that it feels like i'm scoring a political point now and i don't i don't think we should be doing this i think we need, should be able to move on from all of this stuff and you know we've we've left there's no point in tearing each other apart over this anymore is there well, I'm sure you're dying to get in. I just want to quickly preface this by I saw you on Jeremy Vine, of course, because I watch it every day with Andrew Pierce. And this this is just story had just started to kind of shift. And then it sort of motored even more over the weekend with the, the, the Irish border stuff. I mean, what what's, you know, I obviously pick up from what Andrew said, but I mean, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think the EU have really messed this up and I think it has done them a huge amount of reputational damage. Um, I, on my radio show over the last two days, I've, I've concentrated on it a lot and it has united everybody. You know, we had Lord David Blunkett um, on the, the radio station, an ardent Remainer, no fan of Boris Johnson, but actually saying that the EU have behaved uh, appallingly and you know, throughout the, I mean, I think it is very important to try and reset things and, and to, to look ahead. But I think the what is ironic about this is during these very tortured five years of negotiating on Brexit, the sort of standard, you know, stereotype would be with a lot of justification that it was the British side, the Brexiteers, that were ramping things up and being very hot headed and, and threatening things. And of course, you know, let's not kid, forget Boris Johnson and uh, you know, did, was prepared to break international law, which is not a, a good thing. 
And we always were like, oh, the, the EU is so, they're so cool-headed and strategic and calm and they would never do anything like this. And we love Ursula von der Leyen and she's got such good hair and she's got these lovely natty trouser suits. She would never do anything like this. And then you, you have out of nowhere, my God, they're actually going to trigger Article 16. I mean, this is horrendous. I mean, we have been talking about the sanctity of that Northern Irish um, border for so many years, and it's the EU who have done this in such a rash way. So I think it is it's pretty catastrophic for the, the EU. And, um, you know, they have sort of apologised, but a lot of their MEPs are still very defensive. I had a Swedish MEP on my show today, I had a Belgian MEP yesterday, who's normally very mild-mannered, who's going absolutely mad. He swore on air twice. I had to apologise. He then said that he wanted to take AstraZeneca to court. I mean, it was pretty, you know, and but uh, so I think they've handled it really, really badly. And I think it is going to make a lot of people feel even more annoyed with the EU. So it's, it's a spectacular sort of own goal from their point of view. But I think in terms of trying to have some empathy from where they were, they are in a desperate situation right now. It's not that they were just being dicks about this and, you know, oh, we just want to, you know, get our own back over Brexit or anything. This, you know, every nation, every country's government is, you know, it's a race against the virus. You know, everybody is losing citizens to this virus. It is a matter of life and death. And it must have been incredibly disappointing and just horrible and horrendous for the EU to, to hear from AstraZeneca that actually they were only going to get a quarter of, you know, the, the, the vaccines that they thought they would do. And of course, it's not it's not AstraZeneca being awful. There are there are teething issues right now. There are supply issues that's affecting. That's, that is going to be something that is going to be an issue for a while. Eventually we will have lots of vaccines and we'll probably all have more vaccines than we need. And then there will be a discussion about, well, should we start giving that to other parts of the world, which I really hope we do yeah. in Britain. Yeah. So I just think that the EU has, has really messed this up. But what I don't want to happen with this is for it to relitigate Brexit. This should not be about a jingoistic, oh my God, Brexit, we're the best. I think it is. And I do think, to be fair to the government, they have actually been very calm about this. They have been very measured. They haven't been, haha, told you so. They've been quite good about not ramping up sort of like a vaccine trade war with, with the EU. So I think it's really important to sort of reset things and kind of calm down a bit. And also, you want a bit of solidarity. I mean, Europe is our neighbours. We, you know, let's think about a, a year ago is when the virus sort of really landed on these shores. It just takes one person with a new strain or, or, or to, to come in for the whole thing to blow up again. So we, be, we, we have skin in the game in terms of making sure our neighbours and other countries get vaccines as well. I totally, totally, totally agree. I, on the good side, on the good news side, my mum got AstraZeneca, Astra, I can never say the name, AstraZeneca, that one, say it, Aisha. AstraZeneca. Yeah, that one, yesterday, she got vaccinated yesterday. And actually what's been really hopeful is that I'm hearing more, whereas I was hearing so-and-so we know has got COVID, so-and-so we know has got COVID, I'm now hearing so-and-so's got vaccinated, so-and-so's got vaccinated. So that's actually, and I was talking to Andrew just before the show and saying how that's made made it such a positive vibe that we it feels like we are going to get out of this there's going to be you know a positive to this and because I'm conscious of the time I think we should go into something have you got something positive to finish on uh, uh, uh Julian or Andrew or reason well it amused me anyway um Simon Price who used to be the music critic for the uh, Independent on Sunday Independent on Sunday remember that critics <laughs> remember them. anyway Simon, uh, he's a good guy uh he he 
tweeted, here's, here's what just struck me about Oasis. They have no fast songs. They just lumber about, fat-assed <laughs> and graceless, for 20 miles an hour because it's a residential area. Music for people who can't dance, won't dance. They are rock, but they don't rock. Twenty years too late. <laughs> Nothing like keeping it today. It's because everybody's harping on at the back. You know, they're all remembering our past, our youth, and yeah, the Gallagher I brothers. Really yeah. hope, I really hope that Damon Albarn has liked that tweet. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, they, you they did have some fast songs. Sorry, Andrew, go on. I'm sure they had some fast songs. Um, isn't, isn't What's the Story, Morning Glory quite fast? No, um, not really. Isn't it? Is it mid-tempo? Fairly mid-tempo. I mean, they've all, you see, they're perfect because they were the right tempo for people to be able to sing drunk when they were on the tube. Yeah. I mean, most of the 90s was wonderful. <laughs> oh, getting drunk on the tube. Then were the days, oh. eh? Now we just get I, drunk I on liked, Zoom. <laughs> I never liked Oasis at the time. I actually think they've got quite a lot of redeeming features. I like them more now because, you know, I can appreciate this. They have a sound, don't they? That you hear a song, you know it's an Oasis song and they might be similar, but, they're you know, they're fun, they're catchy. They were, and they, they were very good live. I mean, I remember, you know, I remember them, the charlatans supporting Oasis, which should be the other way around, but never mind. And I love the charlatans, but the Oasis, are, they are a great live band, you know. But I mean, it, 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 they, this criticism is justified. It just seems a little bit like, ah, oh, and, another, and another thing. <laughs> I mean, it, actually, there is one, there's a tweet that kind of uh, goes hand in hand with that, which is about, uh, I'll see if you remember this, most disappointing moment of the 1990s was hearing the rest of Space. <laughs> I love this. I love this so much. <laughs> that is brilliant because that is so true. That is so true. I love it. Levi's had a lot to answer for. That is genius. <laughs> because the rest of the song was utter pish. It, it really was so was. crap. It was. It, it got to number one, didn't it? It was a big. It was a big hit. And he wore foil I mean, paper. But it was just he only had the one hit, and he had a, he had a follow up which was really terrible called Animal Army, I think. Um, and he, it, but whenever he was interviewed, he came across so arrogantly, and he kept talking about what a genius he was, and that that I found quite off putting anyway. So I couldn't, you know, even if I liked the songs, I wouldn't have gone along with it. I don't yeah, think. I I can remember seeing something in an interview with him, thinking oh, I don't like I don't like yeah, him. There was something. That, yeah. There was also another one hit wonder, which is mentioned in that thread, actually, but I won't say because, you know, in case they ever listen in. Um, and I asked them to do my show, My Good Diaries, as Asians, as any of them clear want to get. It's quite a big one hit wonder. And then um, I said, look, you know, we're going to like talk about your career. Da, da, da. Goes, we can talk about anything. But if you mention any, any, anything about this particular song, then I shall not be on the show. I shall just walk off. Because there's other things I've done with my life, like chess. I'm like, that is literally the only reason I'm asking you to be in my show is because you're famous for this one song. And now you we, don't want to talk about this it one song. Well, it's a brummie. I'll tell you off air. It's a brummie, oh, right? Oh. <laughs> it's all it's a brummie. Um, at this point, I should say thanks to the people who've donated in the Zoom. But if you want to donate more, we'll get Sajila to tell you personally. Brilliant. <laughs> Yes. Um, if you got the if you got the all back backdrop to change, I am going to do yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. So, guys, please, if you yeah. would like to buy us a coffee, uh, a latte, a, a smoothie, a mochaccino, please well, go think... to. If you could bend your head down, uh, Jules, yeah, it's Let's Kill Twitter, and it is buymeacoffee.com. And I can't get. I've got my glasses on. Buymeacoffee.com. 
uh, slash let's kill Twitter. And please buy us all a cup of coffee. Uh, Aisha will have a glass of red wine if that's okay. What's your poison, Andrew? I love a coffee. It's a decaf coffee, I think. A decaf coffee. Oh, Andrew, what's, what's you're yours? so woke. I love it. I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm totally. I'm doing dry January hardcore. Well, you <laughs> are hardcore. <laughs> what was I your choice be... of drink, Julian? Um, well, I probably vanilla rhubarb at the moment, so uh, yeah, I should be knocking back a few of those later. So, I just say to everyone in the Zoom room who has already donated. I mean, obviously, please, please donate more. But thank you so much for donating. To be with us tonight um if you're watching us on our streaming services uh this this one especially for you um, are there any Anna, are there any last minute bursting questions from our audience uh get to that chat button uh, pronto if you've got anything like maybe guessing sajila's pop star that we don't know about i'm, I'm thinking about that now my what sorry a, a, a brummy yeah. one hit wonder Oh, yeah, we've got, we, I will talk about that there in the green room. Yeah, yeah I can mention okay. that there. But, um, yeah, no, just to tell you that, it, obviously, um, do go to our, you know, buyusacoffee.com, whatever, slash Let's Kill Twitter. But our next show is on the next uh, fortnight uh, on the... February the 14th. Yes, Valentine's. We're going to do an anti-Valentine thing. And who we got on, Gillian? Uh, we've got uh, Ternan, Tiernan Duyeb and uh, Carmen Lynch, our first US guest. Oh, yeah. So and she's doing it from live from the US? Yes, yeah, she'll be doing it at three o'clock New York time, I think it is. Which yeah. is really exciting. So transatlantic show. Um, and also Tiernan Duyeb is a very um, good tweeter as well. Do you guys know him, don't you, Andrew and um, Aisha? I, I've met him once. Yeah, he was nice. He's such a lovely man. Such a lovely man, as you guys are. But thank you all for joining us. And uh, we uh, next show, 14th of February. We're still going to be in lockdown, so where else are you going to be, guys? Join no. your partners or be single. Come along, join us. Um, Julie and I are a little bit bar humbug about love, but uh, our, we'll see what our guests have to say. One is very happily married, and the other one is, I don't know about Carmen, what's her situation? I have, I've no we idea. We'll find out. It's a surprise. It's a surprise. Um, uh, and please give a big uh, round of applause. If we can see your faces, please show your love to our guests uh, if you are on the Twitter front row. Uh, and give us a big shake and 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 a clap for Aisha Hazrika and Andrew Doyle. And are we doing that? Are we doing that in turns? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for coming. Yes, thank you, uh, and thank you all of you who've joined us today on Zoom and on the live stream. Uh, thank you so much. Do tell your friends. Do share the tweet. Please follow us on Twitter at LKT Zoom, and yes. please follow our guests on Twitter. It's at Aisha Hazrika and and yours is difficult please can you tell us andrew what yours is i can't yeah, remember it's, it's, it's andrew andrew doyle underscore com so yes and but you, you, yes yeah please and i've got yours right have a nice week of course i have uh, and of course asia and andrew do you want to promote anything that you've got coming up to to our uh, apart from your books you've got oh, your shows asia my radio show times radio four till seven every saturday and sunday it's a real treat so please join asia on on every saturday four to seven is that right Yes, seven. Okay, and I, Andrew, anything? No, I've got nothing because <laughs> nothing because my career died. Because <laughs> both of my, both of my tours got cancelled, and uh, so it's just the book. It's all about the book, I'm afraid. Thank so, you for joining us, guys. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys, see you soon. Take care. Thank you very much. Bye. 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 Thanks very much for listening. Uh, I thought it was a great show. It was really good to have Andrew and Aisha together. I don't think they've done any punditry together before. So it was quite a first for us. 
If you want to catch up with more of our shows, then check out the other podcasts available. But you can also go to our website on www.letskilltwitter.com. And if you go to the previous shows page, you'll find all our shows listed, each with links to YouTube, uh, also to audio files as well. So it's all there. You can also support our work by going to the website buymeacoffee.com and we set up a page there for donations. But anything you can do really in terms of a like, share, retweet, recommendation, whatever it is, we really appreciate. We look forward to being in your ears again soon.